0: Hello humans, long time no speak. Welcome back to My Game Fiction Addiction, the podcast where me, Amy Mallett, and a geeky guest take a deep dive into the greatest stories, characters, and fictional worlds of video games. If you love games for more than just battle royales, killstreaks, and getting your ass handed to you by a 13 year old on Fortnite, you're in the right place and it's been a hot sec, hasn't it? Whew! things got pretty busy at work around Gamescom. Then I had a birthday, same time as last year actually, weird, slipped off the podcasting wagon a bit, as I do when life has a busy spell, but that's the nature of a side hustle, it? Today, we're jumping into the sequel to a game we covered earlier this year that turned out to be a real boon. It is Knights of the Old Republic 2. Our episodes on the first COTA were some of the most downloaded ever. Star Wars lovers, gamers, and narrative fans alike were all mad keen, so we're going back for more. For this trek across the galaxy, I'm naturally going to be joined once again by my dear nerdy friend, NHS nursing hero and intergalactic aficionado, Ben Craig. FYI, it may have risen out of 2004, but boy is this a chunk of a game. So much going on in terms of lore and characters, multi-choice aspects, an intricate dialogue tree, so many branching parts. We originally planned to make this three episodes, then we sat down to record the first part and talked for nearly two hours. Yeah, ha poor little editing me. And it wasn't even that much waffle! I thought it would mostly be waffle, but it turns out we actually have so much to say about this game, and its narrative design, and some of the hurdles that it faced, so we've decided it will definitely be more than three parts. We'll still do it section by section, or planet by planet in most cases, but yeah, it works out better for my editing schedule too, as I can release them more often. Everyone's a winner! Alrighty, skip ahead to the spoiler alarm if you want to get straight into it, and I'll pop back at the end to say ta-da. May the force be with you, friends.
1: It's good to be back
0: let's have a virtual clink of our gin glasses clink, clink. i mean the path to the dark side as we've established is in fact gin so <laughs> i don't know how this is gonna go for the galaxy really it is
1: the road to my ruin that is for sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we always said we were gonna do Kota two the first Kota episode went down so well so i mean how are you feeling about your newfound fame because i've had so many wonderful comments and reviews pretty sure it's the most downloaded episode ever the first part of Cota 1 so congrats to you my love.
1: It's not a word I say often but I actually felt elated that so many people were sharing my passion for the game as well just it was just like oh to get it off my chest and to share it with so many people was just such a
0: such a fun novelty really so hey. The response was wicked. Ben kick us off then what can you tell me about Cota 2 what should I be prepared for? Well, I'll be uh, talking from a personal experience about the game, first and foremost.
1: I love Kotal 1, but Kotal 2 is where it's at, man. There's just so much I love about the second game, so much so that when I first was trying to get you to play Kotor, I was like so tempted to skip to Kotal 2, and now I'm so glad <laughs> we didn't, because it would have made no sense to you whatsoever. Um, but I'm just glad we're here. This one was not made by... Um, Bioware it was made by Obsidian who we know very well nowadays and it was their first ever game as a newly formed studio they did help out some of the devs with Cota 1 so they were familiar with the tools of the engine they had one year to make the sequel <gasps>
0: Oh my God.
1: When it released, the game was quite buggy. It felt rushed in a few areas.
0: This is what crunch culture does for video games, man. You know, like a year to bring out a sequel to something like this, which is so incredibly laden with multiple choice and branching paths of narrative. And it's a very intricate beast, something like Kota.
1: And there was a good amount of cut content found in the files that has since been reinterpreted in the restored content mod. You've got to appreciate the time and effort made by these fans themselves that have dug and delved and reinterpreted this material to elevate the game to this higher standard.
0: And I didn't know it any differently. So it was great that you were there to kind of say, this is the way you should play it.
1: And it'll be interesting as well to hear your experience as a first timer with that complete package. Mm,
2: mm. As
1: many of us Kotal fanatics have played the game before and after this came about, so... Yes, it would be interesting to see your fresh eyes and see what they have to say.
0: My freshly peeled eyeballs. And I must admit, just my thoughts on the surface. For a game that took a year to make, absolutely insane. Absolutely brilliant. I did feel like there were times where I could notice little bits that were cut. And maybe that's just because obviously I didn't see how maybe patchy it was in the first instance. And I still think there are bits that maybe exposition couldn't really... Uh, fill in a gap because it just didn't really exist for whatever reason there were a few moments like that I'm sure we'll get there Um, but on the whole like the fact that it took a year that is that's balmy man it's crazy
1: isn't it because it's so intricately made
0: shall we get stuck in then
1: let's get stuck in I
0: am ready would you like to uh, part with your gin for just a moment and press the spoiler alarm
1: okay I thought you'd never ask Miss (laughs) Mallet
0: yeah boy Spoiler alert, if you don't want plot details, get out of here, cause we dish in the dirt. We are about to blurt, so if you ain't played it yet, spare your poor ears, and no one gets hurt. We know you'd be pissed if you are in the midst of a really great game, and we told you the twist, or told you who died, and how much we cried. it felt feel kind of bad for derailing your ride. We've been there before, and it is a shit out when some total n*** post the ending on Twitter. So back away now, and you won't get scorned, cause spoilers are coming, and you have been warned. <laughs> down in my notes the very first thought that i had and it is ah a new scary looking bloke on the title screen who is even uglier than malik for the entire of the game i referred to him as mr crusty face i noticed it um fairly recently in resident evil 8 and i know it happens in the last of us as well but Title screens that change depending on what part of the game you're at. That's a nice touch. Let's just admire the fact that Kota did that quite a long time before Resi and Last of Us and some of the bigger, more, you know, recent AAAs. Like, I think it's quite cool that depending on what chapter you're at, it kind of changes the villain on the the title screen.
1: And I love the way that this particular game does it because at certain points in the game, new villains rear their heads Mm. and... When you get to a very juicy part of the narrative and you quit out because it's emotionally taxing and you see and you see the person's um, face like gloating on the main menu, it it just it hits you for a second. It's like, oh, you mean business. You're not even leaving me be here.
0: We get the text scroller into the game. So I thought I'd read that just to kind of set the scene. It is a perilous time for the galaxy. A brutal civil war has all but destroyed the Jedi Order, leaving the ailing Republic on the verge of collapse. Amid the turmoil, the evil Sith have spread across the galaxy, hunting down and destroying the remaining Jedi Knights. Narrowly escaping a deadly Sith ambush, the last known Jedi clings to life aboard a battered freighter near the ravaged world of Paragus. So first thing there that kind of caught my eye in the crawl was, um, you're the... Last known Jedi? You were tripping over Jedi's in the last game, so that's a bit of a switch up.
1: Bit of a shock to you as well, because it was all sunshine and roses at the end of your Cota One experience. Was. Everyone was waving happily to the camera. So we got
0: medals. Yeah, absolutely. Like what happened? I know, I know. And this was the thing. So this is where I should come clean about the name, because I, because I didn't want to Google anything with Cota Two going into it, because I just didn't want to spoil it for myself. I didn't actually realise that it wasn't a continuation of what's meant to be the same character. I kind of mass affected it in my brain. So I actually called my character the same name, Leela oh. Sawayama.
1: Reincarnate.
0: <laughs> basically reincarnate, because for ages, I mean, it, it probably wasn't until halfway through the first bit of Paragus 2 that I was like, oh, I'm not Revan. OK, because they refer to Revan. And I was like, oh.
1: <laughs> this is awkward.
0: <laughs> it is pretty awkward. So you've probably got a hilariously funny name. Um, I don't know if you listened to our previous uh, episode on this, listener but we came up with uh with kind of well i came up with a fairly fairly normal-ish name but i thought a fantasy sci-fi star warsy kind of name and ben called his character a Whittle shy
1: with great pleasure i may add
0: with great pleasure so yeah so i ended up being Leela sawayama again for the whole game which was a bit weird uh, i realized that the exile's actual name is like is it Mitra? Mitra? Something like that?
1: Yeah, but it's never uttered in the game. It's all expanded universe stuff. I Yeah. If it didn't happen in the game, it didn't happen to me, if you know what
0: That's, I mean. Yeah, see, I figured that because I imagine that obviously they'd have to... You can technically call your character anything. And in a game where you can call your character anything, I think of... I don't know if you've played Final Fantasy games, but a lot of the older ones. Um, Final Fantasy X comes to mind. You... Have a character who canonically is called Titus, Titus, but you can call him whatever you want. So it's actually really clever. In the game, they never say his name, they only ever refer to him as you or he. Go on then, enlighten me with your name.
1: Now, the only way I can really reveal this is in parts. So my first name. Oh, God. It's not is... a huge
0: ass, is it? No.
1: <laughs> Damn it. No. Um, my first name is Kulaza. Middle name, Q. Surname, Cambrai. <laughs> cool my full name is cool as a cucumber <laughs>
0: Kulaza actually sounds like a Star Wars name. You've nailed that. It does. It it (laughs) has a
1: certain ring to it. I kind of like it.
0: That's awesome. So uh, the game starts off after you get the crawl with the Ebon Hawk prelude. So this is actually something that I believe is skippable.
1: Yeah, it is skippable. I skipped it just because I played it enough times. I didn't need to play it again.
0: Absolutely. Well, it doesn't really offer much besides a tutorial as such. But I played through it, obviously, because this was my first time. And what's, what's happening in this scene, in this prelude, is that the Ebon Hawk is heavily damaged and the drift in a dangerous asteroid field. And your character is actually lying in the med bay in a critical condition. And you take control of T3, the little droid. And all of a sudden I was taken back to our previous episode on COTA 1 when you said... Oh, you know, T three is uh, pretty overlooked in this game, but he does have a greater purpose in the next game. And suddenly, I was like, Ah, I see. T
1: three's personality core had a proper glow up in the sequel. Like,
0: oh, it really does.
1: He shines in this game, um, mm. and we'll we'll get to that.
0: Not just T three, but the droids in general. I thought. Um, if you kind of had to hand it to any nuance of this game, the droids absolutely steal the show. Like, they are so funny. They are so well-written. Some of the kind of context around, you know, humanoids versus droids, or organics, should I say, versus droids, and the first game is kind of explored even deeper here. Um, Yeah, absolutely loved it. So this initial section is just T3 and his little mate, who I like to think of as, like, you know, maybe a potential droid love interest. Going around the Ebon Hawk, fixing things up, um, getting a med pack for our character, you know, basically taking care of this situation. You don't really know how you've got here, but it is a much more detailed tutorial than Trask screaming at you in your underwear.
1: Oh, stark difference. And it's kind of eerie at the same time. It has a bit of a tone to yes, it. Like yeah. everyone, bar this droid, is, is like unconscious and it's down to this droid to really kind of fix the ship up. And you hear like... Creepy tapping from one of the doors. Everything's on fire.
0: Yes. There's a real eerie atmosphere about this place. So T3 manages to, in this little tutorial, get the ship going again. Uh, He gets the ship to land in the Paragus fuel station, but not before a very sassy HK droid uh struts out the only way i can describe it is he struts because the hips are they don't lie the hips are wiggling all over the shop and he presumably shoots them you don't really see what happens you just see that t3 kind of blacks out and that's it
1: it follows through that ominous mysterious sort of tone that it's set up like what's going on hold on is that the hk that we know it doesn't seem to be why is he shooting t3 he knows t3 and the questions rise mm. from there.
0: And bear in mind, I at this point was extra baffled because I was thinking I was still Revan. So <laughs> I was just like, why is that HK being such a dick? So we awake uh, within a Colto tank and we kind of land on, this, on the floor of the Med Bay and start exploring uh, Paragus 2, this fuel mining station.
1: Can I just say, at this moment... I've got some kick-ass space sneakers on, a tight black bodysuit. I look like I've come just for the musical cats.
0: (laughs) Meow. that kind of annoying moment in the beginning of Kota when you just sort of are wearing next to nothing and you just feel really exposed. But something's clearly happened aboard this ship. On Paragus, there's a few major story beats that happen. One of the biggest things is uh, meeting one of our party members and that's Kreia. So Kreia is, oh, the things that we'll come to say about Kreia throughout the course of this adventure. But her intro is just hilariously it's brilliant because she's basically you think she's dead she's lying on the bed and you go over an examiner and it says something like this old woman appears dead um but you know you there's no sign as to as to what killed her and then you're in the end of the med bay doing something else and if i recall correctly she just sits bolt upright <laughs> And stares at you and is like...
2: Find what you're looking for amongst the dead.
0: Oh, my God!
1: (laughs) She's such a babe.
0: She is. She is a real babe. She's got some of the best quotes and the best dialogue in the series so far, let's be honest. She immediately starts analysing you. She thinks you're a Jedi she's asking you know a lot about you and your history and this is kind of where you start to be able to pave the building blocks very cleverly narratively of your own character because you're kind of like okay well I can be it can have been this amount of time since this happened or whatever and you know what did you kind of tell her at this point what did you free up to create because you can be quite you can keep your cards quite close to your chest with her or you can kind of spill it all out.
1: First and foremost, i just say I'm so glad you cottoned onto that because that is a recurring thing through the game, how through your dialogue choices you can choose your history.
0: Yes I, yes. I love
1: it. It's so clever. I love it. I was quite closed off to her. You can either be a complete toss pot to her or you can be quite... <laughs> Or, or, or you can be very kind of, like, grovelling. Um, I try to ride a middle grounds there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've just met you. I'm trying to suss you out too. And you seem to be sussing me out a little bit.
2: Your stance, your walk, tells me you are a Jedi. Your walk is heavy. You carry something that weighs you down.
1: Now, I love this quote because it gets rid of the romanticised sort of language of being a Jedi the force from the films and it Mm. the words weighs you down brings a different sort of insight into it why does it weigh you specifically down yes what is her perspective of the force as well to say
0: such a thing this is the first time we almost have that indication that it's maybe a bit of a curse and not a blessing what have we been through what have we been through that we don't know about she seems like she's more privy to your history than you are and that is something that is quite interesting as a player because obviously you don't know anything about your character yet um you don't even really have a synopsis for kind of how you got there so you're sort of you're keen to kind of keep picking her brain for questions you want to know what she's doing there she's equally as damn cryptic as you if you stop talking to her she sits down and starts meditating and you're just like okay cool i'll uh i'll go have a look at the ship then (laughs) she just sort of sits there so um yeah she seems to be the only other survivor dead bodies are like everywhere
1: what's happened in these logs is honestly sounds horrific just the kind of Detailed events from the eyes of the miners themselves by each day, each past hour, as things turn more and more chaotic within Paragus mining facility.
0: Piecing together what happened in Paragus, the whole thing with the hologram logs and, you know, the idea that you don't really have the full picture, but you're just getting almost like timestamps of things that happened. And it seems like they were sedated at some point and they tried to sedate you. There was the whole thing about... um the fuel exploding, you know, you get that clue at some point and you're like, okay, that's something to know. I love this whole section. I love the hologram investigation. I think it paints the scene really, really well. And it reconstructs it in almost forensically, criminal forensic kind of way. And I, I was all about that. So yeah, big hats off to the storytelling here. And I love the sassy commander who isn't paid enough, working with morons and just like...
1: Yeah, he met under his breath, doesn't he? I love that.
0: Every time he thinks the hologram switched off, he'll just say something like... Imbeciles.
1: The
2: next one of you Juma heads to try and smuggle a blaster or so help me any sort of military grade frag weapons into my facility is going to take a long walk out the airlock.
0: You, you kind of figure out that some people on board have um, been made aware of the fact that you're a Jedi and they've refused to sell you to the exchange. That's when the droids started going a bit loopy and they've got these mining droids that are like creepy little spiders that have been normally set to mine the planet But this time, they've been tampered with to mine organics. So they're actually killing every human that they see because they're programmed to do it. So there's been some kind of sabotage here. You're not really sure who from or, or, you know, what their their motive was. But I think that kind of carefully crafts the view of Jedi from the very beginning of the game, is that a Jedi is not something you want to be flaunting around willy-nilly. With the
1: mining droids as well, the timing of them acting loopy, as you say, is too coincidental for it to be mm. a mere malfunction. This is after they know that you're um, a Jedi and after the commanders refuse yep, the yep. proposal selling you. So something's afoot yep. and it's down to us to kind of investigate what happened and why. So just as we're leaving this area, because it was such a big point of discussion in our, f- get, uh, our playthrough of the first KOTOR game, I just, I'm dying to know what class did you pick what's your build this game
0: aha so this time i went i went melee again but i made sure that my strength and my constitution were up in the rafters because I made good one. a real tit of myself last time thinking I could fall out charisma my way through it all. I made a much more well-rounded character. I was a Jedi Guardian, I think, again? Classic Jedi Knight build. Basically lightsaber wielding. Towards the end, actually, I had two Sith swords, which was quite funny because I was very, you know, treading the line between good and evil. But I stuck mainly on my melee, my melee roots.
1: Okay, no, that's great to hear. You really kind of upped your game there. I went for Jedi Sentinel. Ooh. I loved to approach the second game as a skilled focus character and there's lots of payoffs for that down the road that complements my second attempt at doing a gunslinger uh, hey. build because i did it for the first game so i had to compare how it would be for the second game and um so yeah that was my my approach to the gameplay going in
0: nice so we we kind of were in a weird way reincarnates of our old characters aren't we despite being a different story arc different character canonically but we're uh, true to our gameplay roots as we were in the first game As we continue to explore the eerily desolate fueling station, we come across a cheeky prisoner by the name of Atten Rand. He's tired, he's hungry, and he is thirsty thirsty.
2: Then there was some big explosion. I was sitting here for a long time. Then you showed up in your underwear and things got a lot better.
0: We find him um, in this cell claiming that he's uh, he's been wrongfully imprisoned and all that jazz. And this is where he starts asking you a lot of questions about your past. And again, similarly to Kreia, like we were saying before, you get to open up, but only as much as you want to. And I tried to distance myself from the Jedi, Um, and kind of having Atom know my true self, because in the previous game, a Jedi was something that everyone loved and cheered for, and was like, oh, a Jedi, you know, seeing a Jedi was like seeing a bloody unicorn. And now it's something that, you know, you were a face everyone wanted to see, a hero, a symbol of justice. Now you're a weakened fugitive hiding out in the galaxy for fear of being hunted down. Like, this is such an interesting beautiful contrast you actually get to talk about the history of the first game as well which is quite cool you kind of get to decide what the the lore is what revan did in the previous game like whether she was she or he was a hero i thought that was a nice touch that was a nice touch because it does make differences yeah i'm interested to see what actually because obviously you can't change the past but i presume that would have had some bearing on the future of this game
1: oh yeah there's reasons for your character knowing these things specifically yeah the game approaches revan in a very different way to the first game you get a sense of who revan was as a character in this game which is very interesting and which we will explore
0: is revan uh, canonically male or female in the, in the expanded universe because obviously your character the exile is female
1: yes so the exile is canonically female revan is
0: canonically male gotcha
2: Maybe you're right. Maybe I just hoped Revan was a woman.
0: What I love about Atten as a character, and I, I guess we'll get to that as we kind of go through the game, he represents not giving a shit. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. You've got characters in the in the previous game like Jolie Bindo who were, you know, the area of grey in between the dark side and the light side. Atten is kind of the the survivalist of a scoundrel who has kind of, you find out, I think, you know in the wider law that he's actually was a Republic soldier, but he also just has this no-care attitude that I think sometimes the player takes on a little bit when everyone's getting very high and mighty about the force and the, the order and you know the wound and the force and all the stuff that will come to with your character. he rolls his eyes he's the eye roll of the game and i love that yes. about him ben i bloody love it because he's just so real he's the realest character I, I would have loved to have gone to the pub with Atten. i really really would i just felt like he had some stories but i didn't know this i was googling something today and i found this out and i'm so glad i found it out before we had this conversation for the podcast aton has a really bonkers easter egg do you know about this i
1: think i know what you're about to say yeah
0: yeah if you play uh the game through on light side and then dark side or actually either either or vice versa whatever way you do it you have to play it through on both pathways so dark side and light side and then start a third playthrough on your third playthrough once you've completed the game twice aton has different dialogue in the scene when you first meet him and he basically breaks the fourth wall and starts saying how he was only designed to be like a, a stand-in character and his design was really rushed <laughs> and like he basically spills the tea on what the developers were, were planning and I, I just, I bloody love that. That's so cool.
2: I actually wasn't supposed to make it into the final game but I was created at the last minute. Blame my agent. I was actually slated for a spin-off to Jedi Knight but... I don't want to talk about what happened there.
1: Because he was supposed to be in a previous Star Wars game, but yes, um, yes. was cut and morphed and adapted and whatever. But um, So he does that, but he also says, for a second there, I thought you were an angel or something like that. He was kind of um, yes. uh, mimicking Anakin in the, episode one when he says that really cringy pickup line to Padme.
0: Of course, <laughs> yeah, because then he says, I hope some kid doesn't end up using that. Yes. Of course, that was yeah. Anakin.
2: That's the worst line I've ever
1: used. They have a bit of fun with Atten um before they get a bit more serious of him later down the road.
0: So we cut back to T3 and uh sob uh his little mate 3CFD is dead from irreparable damage and I was very sad about that.
1: Yeah, he's he's alone. He's 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 naked and afraid. He's not naked, um, what is he? He's um <laughs> he's stripped of parts and he's afraid.
0: We discover through playing as him again, um on the other side of the Paragus mining station that the Navi computer from the Ebon Hawk has been locked. So Someone clearly didn't want the miners to know where it was going, or more importantly, where it had been. So that's another question. Just another question in the many hundreds of dozens of questions that we've got.
1: Girl, I am so proud of you because you are picking up on all the right things right now. So at some point, I think a bit earlier on, actually, there was a hololog where one of the miners says, "The another computer is voice locked. Must be to hide where it is going or where it has been only smugglers do that yes now this is a very early indication as to t3 m4's backstory to this game so that is a greater Ooh. mystery to be unveiled later on
0: oh you'll have to let me know because i didn't really get to the bottom of that as much oh as my. i probably could Goodness. So
1: okay we will
0: yeah we totally will because this is what i mean by i didn't feel like the it wasn't an incomplete game but there were definitely moments and i guess we'll get to that later on where I felt like I'd miss some exposition. You know, I felt I like have, maybe, yeah.
1: I have a feeling I'm going to shock you with some of the character revelations in this game.
0: Yeah, and I really tried this time to follow all their backstories through because the thing with me is that I, I knew from the first game that I had to, otherwise I missed stuff. So this time round, I tried talking to all of them. I tried trying to, you know, take them to different planets and stuff. And I still didn't get as many satisfying answers as I felt like I should have got. So I guess you can kind of call me out if I did something wrong there. But um...
1: unfortunately, you were up against a new system in the dialogue tree sort of Mm. system in this game. But we'll, we'll dig and delve into that in a little while. T3M4 is back and he's more spunky than ever. He's in a row. He... he's been killed. <laughs>
0: I thought I'd messed up actually and killed him by accident because it just, you know, in a game like this where you're like, if I've made a bad choice, that's just a bad choice. It's not like, you know, narratively fixed. It's something that I've done wrong. I just thought I'd killed T3 in the first bloody 20 minutes of the game. <laughs> I was really gutted. <laughs> but it is meant to happen, isn't it?
1: Well, it is, yes. And curious that he was destroyed by a beam weapon because if you play Kota One, you know that only a certain archetype of character can wield such a weapon. Notably a droid.
0: Yes, yes, exactly.
1: Now, before his demise, bless him, he did discover the joys of, shall we say in finger um, quotes, Sith Lightning, because (laughs) he has this attachment (laughs) to him and he can shock people, well, shock the other droids unlimited times.
0: I did like the droid attachments throughout the game, actually. I quite like the flamethrower one and the ion cannon and stuff like that. But yeah, nothing compares to zapping stuff. Like I zap stuff more in this game than I did anything else. (laughs) I tell
1: you, the amount of force points you accumulate in this game, you have an unlimited ability to use some force powers.
0: Honestly, I Leo has been obviously like sat there with me sometimes while I've been playing. And thank God I had headphones because it would just have been a little bit of music, a little bit of music, and then zap, and then a little bit of music, zap, a little bit more music, zap. And then Adam would go, come over here and say that, and then zap.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it it becomes a little um, routine of itself. It
0: does. I was a bit of a filthy spammer when it came to the old uh, Sith lightning. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then uh, obviously once T three is uh, is killed as well. Well, not killed, but shot. I mean, you, I assumed he was killed. Um, the hard cut back to Atten flirting with me is just hilarious. <laughs> It literally goes, what did he
1: say to you? Because I didn't experience it. It was this. just the
0: awkwardness of it, it was written so well, and the dialogue was really well delivered. And it was just you know, T3 gets shot, and you're like, oh, gasp, and then all of a sudden, it's just Atten like,
2: So, uh, how long have you been a Jedi? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And it just really, it really made me laugh. It really tickled me. So He's trying uh, his luck. He's trying his best, bless him. He's trying his best. We go through the mining tunnels with the help of Atten uh, sort of directing us on, uh, you know, WhatsApp Messenger or whatever. But I imagine it's something else that I've probably forgotten. It's some kind of like intercom system, isn't it? We're no longer in our underwear as well, which is much to his dismay. And we come across uh, an old friend. Maybe
1: I I want to hear this through your experience first because of course you were you must have been questioning this like <laughs> of
0: course of course I was because I so it's it's really clever I mean HK so HK forty seven from the first game is such. An incredible character like he's easily the best character in the game he's the best written the funniest thing i've ever i've ever experienced in a star wars game like he's just so witty sassy I, the voice actor is superb everything about hk he was a firm fan favorite and then to turn the corner in this mining station he's there <laughs> but is he the same hk as our hk he's had a silver makeover um, which is rocking, by the way, but then he also refers to organics as organics and not meat bags, which is an even bigger clue. He gives kind of more emotives than before as well. like he actually says things like hesitant explanation rather than just query. you know, he he almost seems like he's had a slight upgrade in his kind of abilities and his lingo. And yeah, it turns out that this isn't HK-47, but a HK-50 unit, which is an upgraded version.
1: There's a lot of questionable things to this character. And this dialogue, I used to, it it stretched on quite a bit. And I remember as a kid, I'd be like, skip, skip, skip. How much you miss as a kid. He talks a lot, yeah, yeah. He talks a lot, bless him.
0: He loves the sound of his own vocabulary proud
1: answer i am an hk series protocol droid master skilled
2: in transorganic
1: relations and communications what a well-written character because there's so much intricacies to how he is written and his main downfall is his pride
0: or in your case the badge of proudness
1: The badge of proudness he
0: wore that he's actually got like an inferiority complex like the one way to get him to help you out to get into this particular part of the facility is to get him to record a voice message of the captain saying like a voice encoded message onto a little recorder that you've got but he won't do it unless you basically goad him into it by saying I bet you couldn't yeah yeah Exactly, mocking him.
1: Because he has to do it specifically in the maintenance man's own voice, which will come into play in a little while.
0: And as we know from the first game, they can mimic voices and they can talk different languages, the HK droids.
1: There is some other things that are questionable with him. I ask him, why don't I remember how we got here? And he says... It is
0: possible you
1: were
2: incapacitated and locked in the well-shielded cargo compartment as the Harbinger was being systematically crippled, Master. (gasps)
1: choice of words
0: it's possible it's possible <laughs> he's not he's not confirming so it.
1: i i call him out on his choice of words and and then he says no doubt the flurry of destruction somehow drugged you into a stupor and then he describes the deaths in the facility using words such as flawlessly <laughs> Satisfaction Defensive answer, Master, I am a protocol droid, not
2: a well crafted assassination droid of unrivaled sophistication.
1: The crux of this conversation as well is we learn one really key thing about ourselves, and he says to us, You are the exiled Jedi who served with Revan in the Mandalorian Wars.
0: Right, there we go. Big big snippet there. Put a pin in that because that is something that we need to remember about our own character backstory.
1: Yeah, links us to the Mandalorian Wars and to Revan specifically.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so suddenly we've got context, haven't we? From our previous game to now, things are starting to slowly slot into place, the pieces of the jigsaw. But you're right about the whole thing. You know, possibly locked in the cargo hold. Like he knows full well what's happened here, but he won't tell you everything. And he shot T three. He's killed a lot of these miners. It's clear that he's very proud of it.
2: Those miners intended to murder you, or worse, any complaints they would have at being murdered would be the highest form
1: of hypocrisy. And then the proper nail in the coffin is later. There's called Quarter, who is the head of the people trying to collect on your bounty. He's cornered by droids, and over a transmission, um, you hear the maintenance man's voice. Unfortunately for HK50, what precedes his sentence is the word statement. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's put himself right in the in the scene of the crime. Honestly, I thought this whole, like... It was like trying to get a kid to tell you the truth when you know they're lying. It was really, really funny. Um, and it went round and round in circles. And eventually we end up confronting and defeating this HK droid. And uh, he blows up, doesn't he? Rather spectacularly.
1: Now, I forgot that he blows up. <laughs> and this was amazing for me. Because Kraya was right up in his grill. And he exploded. <laughs> And time froze, as it does in the game when things happen, because Kraya lost all her health. She got flung backwards. She was mid-air, frozen in time. It was all so dramatic, but it looked so
0: badass. (laughs) To wrap up this section, I kind of wanted to say, oh my God, the Paragus puzzle gate that I had. There was that one bit where you have to like basically work out like prime numbers or some shit. And it's like a number, it's a numerical sequence and you have to work out what the missing digits are. And for some reason, I just, I overcomplicated this, um, This pattern massively. You
1: messaged me in a panic,
0: and then sent you this like scribbled serial killer style page of notes where I tried to work out what the missing numbers were.
1: So many scribbles. So many
0: with arrows drawn to places and like little little um uh humps where I'd kind of gone two between that, five between that, seven between that. Maybe it's going up in multiples (laughs) of two. Honest to God, I was so lost, and the solution was so simple. And I can't even really remember how simple it was now. because I've. Wasn't I it like it.
1: counting the dots or something It was counting like that. <laughs> the freaking
0: dots. It was nothing to do with the, so with the simple. numbers. But I would massively overcomplicated it mathematically.
1: The biggest joke of it was, because I had a high intelligence character, um, no offence, Amy, huh. um, I, I could just bypass that whole thing. So when you were messaging me in panic, I was panicking because I couldn't remember the puzzle. So I couldn't help you out. <laughs> so was like, I don't remember having any difficulty there. What happened? What did I do? <laughs> And I didn't. I just bypassed You got straight it. through
0: it. Yeah, honestly, I I was there forever. And it reminded me... Um, there's a quote from like my favourite TV show, Twin Peaks, where uh, one of the characters says, uh, in real life, there is no algebra. <laughs> and I was like, I think there is algebra, though. Because that was the whole point of it, was that it was almost every symbol was like a series of dots, wasn't it? And you kind of had to... Work out, you know, what symbol equated to what. It was very, very base level algebra. Find the value of N.
1: There could be quite a few of those damn puzzles in these there games. There was one in the
0: desert where you had the sand people in the previous game. You know, those droids that were encircling that guy.
1: They're not always easy. No, I grant you no, that.
0: No, they weren't. So anyway, I massively overcomplicated it. Sent you loads of notes like, what on earth am I missing here? And you were like. I have no idea
1: <laughs> what we are talking about. And the thing is as well, the people making these puzzles, because they're all quite mathematical. Yeah, yeah. These are coders. These are people that build games. Yes! So they know exactly. their maths, you know. So it's a bit heavy Ten-year-old going. Ben
0: playing this. No way. No way.
1: <laughs> no way indeed.
0: So the Harbinger is the ship that then docks. And this is where shit gets really ominous because you are going to try and find out who's docked this ship and why. You get uh, up to the docking, like the little ramp, and you end up in the spacesuit again. And oh my God, thank God the spacesuit is faster now. (laughs) That weird little sprint that you do. Oh
1: my God, because it... it it is painful in the first game, so painfully oh, slow. And the in the space, second the game, is
0: plodding along. in
1: the second game, you've got a mad sprint on, and you questioned whether it was like a gl- uh, the mods doing it. I think it's just yeah. a glitch, or it was intentional. It? Oh, okay. I don't know, but um, it's there from the release. Like, it's just amazing. Whatever it is, I thought
0: that was the mod. I thought it was people being like, the spacesuit is so bloody slow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it quicker. But it's really funny.
1: You can literally hear the Benny Hill sketch in your ears when you're running outside. It's perfect.
0: As your feet are just like, and they
1: don't move hardly, they just kind of flip up and down like a little pinball machine, flippers, don't they? At the bottom, they're like.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's such a stupid walk. Like it just—you look like a, you look like there's an imaginary hand uh, making you dance, like a little Lego figure, almost like stop motion, isn't it? Yeah. It's so so funny. Um, anyway, once I'd got over the hilarious um, uh, animation in the spacesuit, uh, now it's a lot faster. You do manage to get to the harbinger, the reveal of this this bad guy on board, this big bad. It's Mr. Krustyface, who we mentioned earlier, Lord Sion, although you don't realise that's his name yet. His reveal is just so damn cool. He's spooky. like kneeling, isn't he? So spooky. He's kneeling among loads of bodies on board a ship. And you get this like really slow cutscene that kind of crawls along the floor, past all the bodies and then like creeps up to his back. And it's just, oh, it's really eerie.
1: There's something creepy about an enemy. And this is... Different to Malak. Because Malak was quite theatrically evil. This yeah, this guy. Yeah. He's calm. He's actually yes. meditating on that ship. And he's docking it with his mind. I reckon. Like yeah. he is calm, cool, collected. And he is hunting you
0: yeah exactly there is a real calculatedness to it and that is that's creepier than someone who's kind of unhinged you know somebody who is so chill about the fact that they know they're going to kill you and they know that they're onto you and and he's here for you he's very much here for you so you get onto the harbinger when boarding it you find the navigation map you kind of have a little rummage around
1: republic corpses are everywhere but there's no enemies it's quiet.
0: So remind me of how it all plays out, because I think this is the part where you get that message from Karth, and he was trying to, you know, Karth from the first game, Karth and Asi, and you realise that he was trying to bring us to Telos, and shit kind of went a bit awry when they got like a distress signal and stuff. So we find out at this point the full events of Paragus, but how did you see it playing out?
1: There's more holologues, and you get a bit more of a sense of what happens. So basically... The Harbinger found the Ebon Hawk and a Sith warship both drifting in space. The warship was found completely empty, except one human Sith corpse, fractured in several places.
0: Mister Krustyface. Then
1: you hear past emergency broadcast from the med lab on the Harbinger, screams, glass shattering, and a voice saying, "I have come for the Jedi." Kraya elaborates, saying, Sif assassins are after us. Atten asks, what have we done to deserve this? And I'm at this point wondering the same thing, because I am an exile.
0: And you're worth something, you know, you're you're clearly a threat to them in some way, yeah.
1: I mean, this is like a backhanded compliment at this point. Karth transmitted to the, the captain of the ship, to you, because you chose Revan as a good guy, so Karth was still around Revan at that point, mm-hmm. and he was still in those kind of um, segments of the Republic. Yeah. But... For me, Revan was evil in yep. the first game. And so Calf was kind of out of the radar a little bit. So it was just some average Joe blog for me.
0: Oh, that's cool. Wow, that really cool, is a ripple indeed. effect, isn't it?
1: But you kind of learn that the Republic are really struggling after Kota 1. They are stretched thing and they are struggling to um, kind of control the galaxy as a whole. Not control. That's not what the Republic do. But they're, they're struggling. Okay.
0: Struggling to maintain order, I guess.
1: Order yeah, yeah. And, and peace. Yeah. yeah. We do learn that the Harbinger's mission was to collect me, but we do not know who sensed that order out. Who wanted right. me collected from the outer regions of space. Gotcha. Another mystery.
0: My only complaint with that, that whole, the hololog thing was great in the beginning of Paragus, but towards the end, I felt like I should have been writing it down with timestamps because I was like, wait, who went where? Who's got this? Who's on the ship? Like, it's it, yeah. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of dialogue, a lot of exposition, and I found I loved that really spooky section of like creeping around Paragus and obviously all the Sith assassins on the Harbinger dock. But I just found it a bit hard to follow at times. That was my my only real thing. So we have a confrontation, don't we, with Lord Sion?
1: We kind of see visually um, what had happened in the Med Bay, which we had heard previously how he had awoken in the colta tank burst out and all of his minions his his sith assassins had come from the shadows they had been swamped by a very different tactic to what we have seen in Kota before this is a very different style of fighting from the sith so yeah so we fetch forth, and like you said we come to darth Sion. so aton says
2: i have a bad feeling about this
1: no shit, Atom. <laughs> we're, we're walking down a corridor for the flickery lighting in this spooky ass shit. <laughs> no, I bet you don't feel great about this. And then, lo and behold, we look behind us, and Darth Sion is just standing there still watching us.
0: And it becomes apparent that actually he and Kreia have a history.
2: I sense you, my master, faint, weak. Your senses betray you. As you betrayed me. After all that's happened, still you live. You are
0: difficult to kill. Master and apprentice vibes. It's kind of a bit reminiscent of Malik and Revan here, um, and he cuts off her hand. She loses a jazz hand, and <laughs> uh, and as a result, we get this intense um, empathy pain, which is actually referred to throughout the game as a Force bond. So we we it becomes apparent that we share something with Kreia so deeply through the Force, this bond that has formed, that actually if she feels pain, we feel it too, which I'll be honest, a bit problematic. My first thought was, oh crap, well, if she dies then, like, that's no good for us, is it? And also the thought of us just being a bit of a liability to each other. Um, and a, that is yeah. a question
1: raised. I mean, we know about four spawns from the first game between Bastilla and Revan. Yes, um, yes. But this is on a different level. And why? Why is this on a different level? Yeah. How has this come about so quickly as well? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. It's for every ten questions Cota Two solves, it brings up like another twenty. Um, oh, absolutely. And um, and Mr. Krustyface, Lord Sion. Not only do they have this this scrap, and he she loses her hand, but can I just mention that he's well northern. <laughs> he says. <laughs> He sounds like uh the hound from Game of Thrones. He looks like the mummy. That's who he, he sounds
1: it, like the hound. He does sound like the hound. No longer do your whispers crawl within my
0: skull. They fight. It's a little bit reminiscent of Bastila taking on Malik uh, in the first game. And Atten and I are running for the hills. We're heading to the Ebon Hawk at this point. so Without Crayer. Without Crayer. Similar to Bastila, you just kind of have to leave her. And it's really intense. Like, you've just met her. Um, you get T3M4, you get the Ebon Hawk, and then you get the hell out of there. You destroy um, the asteroids on the way. You actually asked me in, in our notes if I destroyed the asteroids. But I don't actually remember getting a choice here. I just thought the Harbinger shoots at it.
1: So you get the choice of whether you shoot at it yourself... Or whether you oh, you just right. evade the rocks. Now I chose right. to shoot them to in my character's head ensure that we escape the Sith.
0: Right. Because gotcha. the rocks
1: the asteroids are full of fuel, so they're gonna explode in frenzy.
0: I see. Okay, that makes sense. I think I evaded them because I remember the Harbinger shoots them in my in my playthrough. So they still end up blowing up either way, either but it's way. kind of it's kind of who's responsible, really, isn't it? And we'll get on to obviously the the wider knock on effects of your actions when we get to um, when we get to T The gives us a bloody sermon about why did you do that? That was a stupid idea, wasn't it? Yes.
1: So one thing that we alluded to earlier was there's this influence system in this game. There's a lot of choices as to who we try and appease in our dialogue choices with our characters. So um, uh, this is all about building trust and relationships with characters. And the more you do that, well, it could go either way, to be honest. But um, the more extreme you go either way, the more doors you unlock and the more you learn about those characters. So just interesting knowing going forth. Very different to the first game, but it's it's good. I like it.
0: It's not very conventional as well, which is something else that I liked about it. In an influence system, you tend to think of things like dating sims, you know, those kind of games where it's like all you've really got to do is pay a lot of attention to a potential uh, candidate. You know, it's something like Harvest Moon or classic dating sims where it's like, oh, if you just, you know, say all the right things, then you'll get what you want out of it. And actually the influence system here... To win favour with certain characters, you don't just want to tell them everything they want to hear. If anything, you actually want to actively defy them sometimes. Kreia actually gets more influence with you. She becomes influenced by you more if you are defiant and you question everything and you seem to get, you know quite aggro with her at times and you show your dark side. That's what really like floats Kraya's boat but then Aten, for example will benefit more from being told he's doing the right thing he kind of needs reassurance. I would give him that reassurance. What a lovely boy. It's all very clever. It's not black and white in the sense of like oh you just have to butter that person up or tell them that they're great you have to work out what kind of behavior it is actually appeases that individual
1: and sometimes they'll shock you sometimes you think oh they'll like this and then they will (laughs) absolutely hate you for it
0: influence lost with atten and you're like oh
1: and that's the complexities of the characters themselves which which will become apparent
0: So we've escaped this evil Sith attack. We've escaped Lord Sion. Paragus is blown up with the asteroid shot. We're on the Ebon Hawk. It's actually a really cool parallel from the first game, I thought. The fact that you escape on the Ebon Hawk but under entirely different circumstances like it's so cool because then you're on the Ebon and obviously you're arriving at Telos which is our next destination where you hope to land and maybe get some answers about the assassin droids that are chasing you down and why you're being hunted and all that jazz but it's just really cool because you are exploring a ship that has so much history and so much character for you um but it's entirely new So The Exile, entirely new to this character. It kind of reminds me of the moment in uh, episode 7 where Rey and Finn are running towards Han Solo's ship. And don't they kind of go for, like, one ship and... He's like, oh, no, that will do. And then it blows up and then they go, oh, that one will have to do. And they jump into the Millennium Falcon. And it's that moment of like, to them, it's just a ship. It's just an escape. But to you, it holds so much memory. And you're just like, oh, my God, that's the ship. That's
1: a really good parallel, actually. Uh, yeah, that's really uh, that's really good. Because there is a lot of um, uh, almost like a nostalgia in these ships. Yes. There's so much time spent in them especially in this game in this game so.
0: yeah absolutely it becomes more your ship than Revan's by the end of it but you are instinctively thinking you know this is Revan's ship and this is where you know they had all those interactions and where you met Karth and Mission and you know in your case where you did some pretty dark shit if we uh, if I recall <laughs> but it just it flooded me full of memories back on board the Ebon about to mourn Kraya's passing at the hands of Darth Sion but she's already on board just leaning against the wall with her little wrist stump, ready to lend a hand. This is your downtime on board the ship to start exploring the backstories and dialogue options with your party members, who at this point are Aten, Crea and T3M4. I think
1: we'll start with Crea. She seems a bit of a badass. She doesn't seem really bothered about her hands. She's She's like the Terminator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She will literally be in bits and she'll still keep coming.
1: I think the way she's coping with it, she seems to be taking it out on Atten. She thinks he is a fool.
0: Yeah, she does not like Atten. And actually that made me... In the beginning, I was kind of like a little bit frustrated by that because I was like, oh man, I hope I won't have to choose. You know, in games where it kind of sets it up like... One of these characters will need to be pissed off eventually. You can't keep both of them in your favour. I just kind of felt like maybe it's because he is the way that he is, and he hasn't really got an agenda. He's just sort of like in it for a game of puzak and a pint. Um, I liked Kreia and I liked the fact that she she tells you a lot more about how you lost your connection to the Force, and she says that you know you are a Jedi, you do you are Force sensitive, you have a loss of power, but you lost it because you were exiled and the Jedi Order were the people that did this to you. And she's very much, although she, it's hard to tell whether she's, you know, what allegiance she has at this point. And I think that's very deliberate. Um, It's also a much nicer relationship to the one you have with Bastila in Cota 1. She's actually a lot more maternal. She has more faith in you. She's on your side, Um, even against the Jedis, whereas Bastila is very, you know, reprimanding all the time, isn't she?
1: Yeah, well done. Yeah, she is very maternal, especially at the beginning of the game she almost wants to take you underneath her wing she she's very kind of um forthright in her thoughts but she's not scolding you at this point i may be able to teach you train you to feel the force again and if you will not allow me to help you
2: then other jedi must train you or undo the damage they have done
1: now uh, to kind of build off what you said she kind of says the Jedi cut me off from the Force after my battle at Malachor 5, which marked the end of the Mandalorian Wars. The narrative that's forming is that my connection to the Force in my exile was severed by the Jedi themselves.
0: Yes, they did that to you. Yeah.
1: And she basically just kind of recaps that the Jedi, loads of Jedi died and that what's what led to the Jedi Civil War forming, which was the events of the first game.
0: Again, from the first game, I missed so much that when we got to the Ebon Hawk, I was just chatting to everything and everyone. Like, I chatted to T3 quite a bit. um, (laughs) And, you know, we'll find out some more about T3 and and sort of some strangeness about, you know, where he's been because he clearly has some secrets buried in him. Um, But also I have that moment with Atten in the dialogue where he asks you about your lightsaber. And it's very reminiscent of the first game where you have that moment with Bastila and Karth and where she's like, I lost my lightsaber. And he's like... You lost your lightsaber, you had one job, kind of thing. So um it's it's nice that you you almost get a callback to that and he asks about your lightsaber and you kind of get to tell him what colour it is and stuff like that. So I decided at that point on the Ebon for the very first time that my character had a bit of an attraction to Atten and his scoundrelly ways. So that was my canonical romance forming there. I think I messaged you actually and I was like, Can I romance Atten? Asking for a friend, and you were like, uh, not not the same way you would have done Karth <laughs> and I was like oh <laughs> this part
1: gives me like a w- weird warm fuzzy feeling similar to um, and I expressed this in the first episode of the first game Yeah. Um, where it's simple there's not many people around you at this point things have calmed down you know this is after rescuing Bastila in the first game after you escape Paragus in the second and you're just learning about the people and you're you're preparing yourself for the next step of the journey.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that Kota does well, but it also can be overwhelming, is give you a rich amount of characters to talk to and to interact with. But in in many ways, that's actually not ideal because you kind of end up having almost too much choice and too many characters and too much dialogue option and not enough action. And um, it can feel a bit mispaced in that way. So I think, you know, it's quite nice when there's less of them and you can actually spend more time talking to them. You find out as well that atten really hates T3. Atten bloody hates droids. Like he, uh, you, you you never really, I, I tried to kind of figure out where that had come from. I never really fully got there. But um, he hates droids. Absolutely hates droids. My first thought was, how's he going to react to HK? <laughs> if you think T three is offensive,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't blame him after Paragus as well. I don't think anyone would like droids. Most people adopt a mod that skips that whole bit entirely. But I love Paragus. Um, it's so oh, story interesting. Driven. People
0: mod. People uh, opt to uh, skip that completely. Yeah. Ah. I, I,
1: I, I love it. it. Just it's the building blocks of the narrative. I really
0: liked it. Yeah, I really liked it too. I thought it was great. I thought the whole murder mystery thing, you know, piece. I knew together. that'd be up your alley. I, yeah, I love stuff like that. I love anything that feels like a, a forensic mystery waiting to be pieced together. I like that. I, I think that was really clever. And I think there were times where it got a little bit tangled because there was just so much exposition. Like it was it was so heavy in dialogue and so heavy in text. And I got a little bit tangled every now and again with the narrative. But I think, you know, in terms of replaying it, I can imagine it would make way more sense. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it was very well crafted. Kraya hates Aten, Aten hates droids, and T3 just, you know, is bumbling around, refusing to tell me uh, everything he knows.
1: <laughs> everything he knows, and that's a statement. Now we are going to Telos, and no one says it better than Kraya, who says, It does not matter where we go. It is not the destination
2: that matters. It is the journey. All paths will take us to the end, whatever it may be, and no matter how strongly we fight against it. For now, we are bound
0: for Telos, and that is enough. I love how in your notes you put always have a favourite Kreia quote for the end of every situation.
1: There's so many. There's
0: so many. For the end of like Paragus's section, for me, before we go to Telos, I think my one was, it's quite a big one, but Kreia has this awesome monologue about war. And again, it's something that I really like because I like the idea of there not being good and evil. I think that's really basic. I think that's very unrealistic. I like the idea of this quote, which is, you see, the war,
2: the true war, has never been one waged by droids or warships or soldiers. They are but crude matter, obstacles against which we test ourselves. The true war is waged in the hearts of all living things, against our own natures, light or dark. That is what shapes and binds this galaxy not these creations of man.
1: You are the battleground. I love it. Mmm, yummy writing. I can eat that up all day, so more will come.
0: More will come. And that, my lovely lemons, was part one. Because of the way we're breaking this beast of a game up into bite-sized chunks, it won't be long, maybe like two weeks or so, until the next part lands in your ears. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can do so at My Game Fiction on Twitter or My Game Fiction Addiction on Instagram. Always love hearing from you guys and getting your game recommendations for future episodes. As always, huge thanks to Neil Kuhn for our amazing artwork, Daniel Ansell for the spoiler alarm, and Matt Chapman of Muchaz Music for our ear-tickling theme song. Take care and see you next time. Bye!